That's good. Awesome. Thanks, Josie. That was great. See you guys soon. And uh, great lover of Brene Brown as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Josie. That's great. Oh, good. Um, I, I'm going to stick around. I'm just going to be sitting here. Of course, get up. But if you have any questions or thoughts while you're sitting here, if you don't need a little break, I'm, I'm going to be here. You know, Josie, the, what's been going through my mind was uh, you made a wonderful picture of what hospitality looked like. We, in our North American society, we think of entertaining rather than hospitality. So we, we put out our best front. We're not prepared for anybody coming to our front door. And you, you portray that so beautifully, and that was wonderfully challenging. Yeah, the whole idea of us being interrupted, I feel like is so hard. Like, for me personally, like being interrupted, I'm doing work or I'm do, trying to finish a project and there's a knock on my door. Right. And I feel like it's so hard for me to then move from a posture of, man, I was just trying to get something done. I needed like 30 more minutes to receiving and welcoming and saying, okay, I'm going to create this margin in my life uh, for this person at this time, because God has an appointment for me. And I mean, I feel like that is associated with hospitality just as of being a person who is hospitable but I feel like interruption is hard. I feel like creating margin does not come easy, but how can we create margin in our lives, in our days that kind of allow for those interruptions so they're easier to embrace? Oops, I'm muted. Um, one of the things we noticed when we moved from England to the States was not that everybody did it, but I think in England, we're more used to people just turning up on your doorstep. Maybe it was partly my, my role, but, uh, but I think that was slightly more common. And, and we would find, obviously that didn't happen hardly at all, but even when people were invited, they would call to confirm more than once sometimes, because it seemed such a huge step to go into somebody's house. Um, that, that seemed very noticeable. And, and some of it's, you know, the world has changed. The world's more scary, you know, urban centers. People don't know one another. We, we're used to living with strangers all the time rather than smaller communities where people are known. And uh, it's a different environment for sure. You know, kids, you know, we're afraid to live. I mean, as a kid, I spent all day out away from the house, you know, on my bike, playing. You'd never do that today. So it is a different world, but it's, it, it has called us to pull up the drawbridge a bit and. Uh, be fearful sometimes of mm -hmm. a stranger, but anybody interrupting us. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hey, Josie, thanks for uh, thanks for the presentation. Uh, that was really good. You're welcome. Uh, got a question for you. Um, do, do you have a Do you have anything on the web as far as that presentation is concerned? I, I would love to to point people to that. Um, you know, rather than having to to redo it myself. Oh yeah. I think you just did a wonderful job there. 
Yeah. Um, you know what? I don't have it posted on our website, but I'm happy to give it to you. Maybe what I could do is I could get it to Mike and he could distribute it. Would that be okay, Mike? Yes, fine. Absolutely. And um, I mean, I, I am recording these sessions. Um, obviously, it's a different thing to go and look at a screen and just see bullet points. But, uh, you know, some of this content will be available for people to listen to again. And for those who couldn't be here this morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I'd appreciate the opportunity to listen to it again, too. Very, <laughs> very good points that you brought up. Extremely helpful. Very uh, thought provoking. Thank you. That's my well, girl. That's my girl. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> these are like, this is what I feel like is so important. And it's been something that God has worked hard at in my life over the years. This isn't just thoughts that sound good, but he has sown these seeds deep in me. And the PowerPoint started as one thing and it's already been made pretty different. And I feel like it's just a work in progress as God continues to give me experiences and teach me. Um, and it will keep being a work in progress. It will never be like a finalized PowerPoint at all, but I'm happy to share it with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Can you hear me? Go ahead. I don't know if I can. Oh, um, Josie, it's kind of interesting, you know, this this whole process by Zoom. Um, you know, I was wondering whether it would work or not, although I've seen technology work well. But, uh, this is as good as having you sitting in a, in a small room with, uh, you know, 10 or 12 folks sitting around a table. It's amazing. Very, very effective. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. And none of us had to pay for a plane ticket. Actually, we had already paid for our plane <laughs> ticket. Uh, so we, That's true. We, we have a credit now. <clears throat> sizable credit. That doesn't mean you shouldn't come. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Well, I was telling them it's one of the most beautiful places on earth, so they got all excited about going up there, and then Canada, Canadian government wouldn't let us come. I think you guys are uh, really redefining the word hospitality, hmm. and uh, my I have an idea of maybe a stereotype of people that have the gift of hospitality are generally... Um, women that know how to bake an apple pie and can work in the kitchen and um, maybe uh, people that are women that don't have a voice and don't really want to be up front, but they'll go work in the kitchen. And that's the people that they give are, you know, typically my thoughts of having the gift of hospitality is for the people that don't have anything good or anything um, to share, they can go work in the kitchen. And I think you're just really redefining my thoughts on it. Like if, if you a few years ago had told me, well, I think you have the gift of hospitality, I probably would have punched you in the face because, uh -huh. because I feel like 
what God has done in me over the years is to show me that I do have a voice and I do have something to say, um, not just go hide in the kitchen. So I really am quite excited about what we're sharing here today. And it just knowing that every single person has this gift and has the ability to share their life with somebody else. And um, it's just very exciting. Thank you. Well, and yeah, and I think it's true for all of us. I mean, you know, the great mystery to me is one of the qualifications for a leader of the church is hospitality. But when you think about hiring church staff members or church elders in place, whatever um, leaders in place, usually them being hospitable isn't one of the considerations. And when we hire a pastor, we don't even consider, okay, are they hospitable? And yet to the Holy Spirit was a big deal. And then, and I think tied to your point too, is this, this is an extension of my nuclear family. My home is my family, how I decorate it, how I, you know, how we live. This is who we are. And I'm inviting into who we are as a family and it's not about entertaining you. It's about you belonging to us and coming into our world, just like God, the Father, Son, and Spirit invited us into their family. We are now adopted into God's family. In my father's house in many rooms, you know, there's a picture of hospitality. The marriage feast of the Lamb, you know, when we get to heaven someday. It's all hosp- And that's God. But I was never taught that in my ministry uh, training. Never. Well, and we, we talk about the, the gift of hospitality, but it's also the command of hospitality in the scriptures. And I think, Louis, your, your life is a great illustration of do I go with what's comfortable or do, or, or do I, does the scripture inform how I live my life? You guys, if you would have seen Louis Clark 15 years ago living in Little Rock, Arkansas, his apartment was the biggest fire hazard I'd ever seen because all it was was books, like floor to ceiling books. Um, it, Louis was e- eating dinner at lunch, breakfast out, every meal, meeting with people to the point that in his oven, he also stored books because he didn't use his oven for anything else. And it was a great spot for books. He had to dust his stove. So it's not like hospitality came naturally to this man. But I think as, as we allow the scriptures to inform us and to teach us who God is and how he expresses his love, then that changes us. We have to respond to that. And so now, I mean, before the pandemic, I mean, at least four nights a week, probably, Louis, you've got a big pot of something, a big crock pot of something, and you've got people in your house, whether it's a formal Bible study or if it's just guys coming over for dinner, like you are known for your hospitality. When 15 years ago, <laughs> that would have been a laughable notion. Your your idea of hospitality was taking somebody out oh, to dinner. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't, I, I would no idea how to fry an egg or cook an egg or... You said bake a potato. I'd have no idea how to do it. I mean, I had no idea how to cook at all. So it's a steep learning curve. I had nobody stay over at my apartment in Little Rock. Overnight guests, you know, where um, you know, now, I mean, Ryan's figured up, I think we have 400 people a year stay here. I'm not saying you should have 400 people a year stay at your house. I'm not saying that. We're in an urban setting, city, a lot of come and go. So it's, it's, we have a lot of groups in, so it's not. I'm not saying you should have that. But the point being that I never had overnight guests in my home. And now you know, there's hardly a week that goes by that I have somebody staying with me. I love what you said, Louie, about um, communion and how the Passover dinner was a celebration. It was a party. They yeah. were 
they were free and man we we don't do communion quite like that no. <laughs> yeah it, it should be a party it should be a, a celebration you know not a time to reflect on our sins but a time to reflect on what jesus did on our behalf and celebrate that mm -hmm. celebrate what he did yep so my remembrance of him is not i fear my remembrance of him is that he loves, he's a friend, he's a shepherd, he's good. <laughs> he redeemed me, he saved me. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah uh, Frank and I visited Israel last fall and uh, Friday was our free day. And so in the evening we were standing out in front of our guest house and Proceeding by was lots of different um, Orthodox Jews heading to uh, Western. the Western Wall. So we thought, oh, we've got some time. Let's follow this parade. <laughs> and I didn't know what to expect. But when we got there, that's exactly what they were doing. Wow. This was their big party. Yep. They were dancing. They oh. were singing. The men were all in, in circles, hugging each other. Yeah. I, I thought, I guess I expected them to just be praying at the wall and studying the word. But that Friday mm. night when they went down to the Western wall, the place was packed and crowded. Everybody, it was a big rejoicing party. And I thought, wow, they know how to uh, party. celebrate their God. And I, I often think of Jewish people, how they would bring a stranger into their home, um, sure. come and uh, celebrate the Sabbath with us. They are very hospitable people, at least originally. They were, they would go to the community well. And if there's somebody who's passing through town, they'd say, have you got a place to stay? Come home with us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, not too many of us this day and age would bring home a stranger. But I think, you know, the Holy Spirit leads you to do those kind of things. But it's powerful to um, be available to God and to uh, just say, Lord, how do you want to amuse me in this um, ministry of hospitality? Because it's opening yourself up and uh, it's not always convenient. My, I grew up in a family with six children. My mom was a widow and always at our table. There was a couple extra children in our family. You know, just add more to water to the soup, as they would say. So we grew up in a home that we didn't have a lot, but... Uh, so many people reflect on my mother's hospitality as a real cornerstone in their life. You know, just not Christians, but mm. a lot of uh, neighboring kids who spoke at her funeral about how much an influence our home was, that she would open her home when she had so many other chicks under the um, under wing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A legacy. That's amazing. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, we're uh, past time. Shall we continue? Yep. Sure. I mean, I don't sure. think we have stopped, but. <laughs> yeah, well, we want to honor. So. Ryan. Okay, so um, two years ago when Josie and I started working full time with uh, Louis and Icon Ministry, we kind of did a barnstorming tour all over the U.S., meeting with friends and family to raise support to make disciples in Chicago, much in the same way a missionary overseas would raise their support. And when we were getting together with people and describing our ministry of, of 
making disciples through the means of love and hospitality and friendship to our Muslim and Jewish neighbors and to our to the next generation young leaders. Um, some people asked a, a really good question. And that question was, how will you know that it's working? How will you, if this isn't about numbers, if there's, if there's not standardized testing, how will you know that you're making disciples? How will you know if the people you are investing in are getting it? And basically they're asking about what metrics will you evaluate your success? And I want to introduce you to one of our metrics. Uh, he's, he's one of my favorite proofs of all time that disciple making works. So Andy Watson, the favorite son of Mike and Carol Watson has joined us here for a few moments. Andy, say hello. Hello everyone. I would say he is my only son. Doesn't make it true. Favorite child. Well, I stopped short of saying that. Um, so Andy and I met. Where's this picture? It's coming. Andy and I No, met no, no, his face, I meant. I'm sorry. Oh, it's on there. Hey. Oh, I don't see him. No. Oh, there. No, I meant his face. Video. So, and are you guys seeing the screen we're sharing now? Yep. There's guys. <laughs> so this, Andy's, I, Andy, is it true that you were the valedictorian of your senior high school class? I was. That contributes to me being the favorite son of the family. Andy, is it, true, is it true that there were three graduating seniors in your class? Well, that's a small detail, Ryan. We don't need to talk about all the details. Okay, just one of the full story. Okay, so this is a picture in 2001 of Andy's high school graduation. And, and this is a cherished and treasured picture because it just, what it shows is this multi-generational picture of what disciple making does, what love does. So when I met Andy, he was a 17-year-old high school senior who, who just had an uncommon hunger for God for a, a man of his age. And we spent a lot of time together talking and, and praying and hanging out. Andy's real competitive, so I had to teach him a lot of lessons about humility from the basketball court and uh, wrestling and things like that. Um, uh, then Andy went away to college for a year and about an hour away. And when I say went away, I think he spent more time at my house than at college. I don't know if Mike and Carol are fully aware of that um, and may have been part of the reason you transferred the following year. Um, but as Andy and I, you know, we grew together, our friendship grew, and now I consider Andy one of my best and closest and favorite friends in the whole world. Um, and I and I love just what that picture showed us and what and what that that lineage indicates is we how do we know that disciple making works is is when you see that generation. Louis, did you talk about Taylor Gardner at all today? Did you mention no, no. So it, it, briefly, Taylor, go ahead. Do, oh, you want me to? Just, yeah, yeah. Just well, so Taylor. Gardner discipled me when I was 20 years old, 1920. He reached out to me. He's still alive. He's 80 some years old. If that and... was in 1920, Louis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about 1920. Um, but he showed me love. He everything we're describing is what he did for me. He believed in me. He taught me friendship. He taught me what it was to follow Jesus, and that love was the center of it. So that. You know, that was the beginning of that's why I made disciples because I was discipled. Well, and and go upwards in the in the chain. Taylor was discipled. Oh yeah, right. I can 
And this I just found out in the last four years that um, I did a spiritual lineage and found out Taylor had been discipled by the Patties, this guy named uh, Ralph Patty and his wife, who had been discipled by this soldier from World War II, his name um, was uh, Jesse Miller, who had been discipled by uh, this couple who had been missionaries to the Philippines in 1922 you know, and was there during the war. And they all discipled, made disciples in their homes in hospitality. And I kind of was delayed <laughs> when I got into the pastorate. I didn't do the hospitality piece. But then the Lord, you know, at, at, when I was in my about 45, that's when I learned, came back to hospitality. I was discipled in hospita- through hospitality. I just got into the pastorate and just forgotten it. So, yeah, so how do you know the disciple-making works, that disciple-making transforms lives? Is the family in the Philippines, to the Millers, to the Patties, to Taylor Gardner, to who disciples Louis Clark, who disciples Ryan Seibert, who disciples Andy Watson, who is now making disciples of a, a guy named Nick and others in his church and his family. Like, it is this ancient river that we are all a part of. And, and to me, this is what gives me so much hope, is that, you know, Jesus said that men were his method. Another book I commend to you is Master Plan of Evangelism. I don't know if any of you have read that. Robert Coleman, my, my 30 year anniversary copy just turned 30 years old. So that book's been around like 60 plus years. But I love how he starts out the book. He said his concern was not with programs to meet the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. Men were to be his method of winning the world to God. And it goes back to that idea if I am, if I am, faithful and discerning of, of and we we expect worldwide impact but we expect that by investing in one or two or three um yeah and so andy i just wanted them to see you and to hear from you and just from maybe just a, a couple minutes of your perspective of what it's like to be uh in, in a lineage like that and what disciple making has meant to you and for your family. I think there are so many things that, that I could talk about. I could talk about for hours. Um, and it's, it's maybe not the technical deep theological um, terms, but it, just that word love, what, what that looks like. The fact that I can call both Louie and Ryan and um, man, be just sharing the deepest things the deepest struggles that I have, the highest highs that I have, and knowing that these guys are there to support me um, because of um, just their belief in me and their commitment and love over the years. And I think it's something that takes time and, and is a big investment. It's not something that just happens um, in, a, in a couple of days in a, in a six week program that you attend once a week um, or when you work through a book together. But it's about, um, man, when Ryan comes and stays at my house, probably he's done that once a year for um, 15 years, and he loves on my kids. Louis does the same thing. They, they come and invest in my children. And nothing means more to me than when people um, take an interest in my kids. Um, that's, that's one of the biggest things um, that can possibly happen. But, uh, yeah, just getting to walk and do life together and um, – and also one of the, the things that's really 
um, cool about both of these guys, but especially with Ryan is um, him sharing his weaknesses and his failures. And it's not just this thing where he's got it all figured out and um, he, he wants to pass on this knowledge to make life perfect and the secret, but it's like, no, this is how the Lord is molding and shaping him. And he's walking vulnerably um, with me too. And so it's a, it's a real friendship. And um, I'm, I'm thankful for both these guys. When I was in Houston, um, Louis flew down and he, he led our men's uh, men's ministry retreat and was gracious to do that. And man, that was just such a blessing getting him around guys that I'd been pouring into and investing into. And, um, and so, yeah, really, really grateful for both of them and, and man, what they, what they speak about, what they write about is, is so true and it's impacted so many. And, um, you know, I'd never played basketball before, um, Ryan taught me some lessons on the basketball court. So it was, it was, I grew up in England. We didn't play a lot of basketball, but I remember playing some tennis with Ryan and teaching him a lesson or two. So that's good. I at least one. He'd be discouraged if I beat you every time. That's true. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks for sharing that, Andy. We, we love you. And, um, yeah, again, another Robert Coleman quote from the Master Plan of Evangelism. He says, though he did what he could to help the multitudes, he had to devote himself primarily to a few men rather than the masses so that the masses could at last be saved. This was the, stra- the genius of this strategy. I, I feel like the world is being reached because Andy Watson and guys like him are continuing to make disciples. And so, I mean, you, you guys live in like a literal corner of the world. You're like way over here on the edge. But as you begin to make disciples of one person, a, a, just one person a year, who then gets a heart to make disciples. So now all of a sudden you and this person are making disciples. So there's two people making disciples. And if their one disciple once a year gets it, and then there's four. The power of exponential multiplication, after 33 years, you get 8 billion people, the entire population of the earth. That's the significance of what multiplication is and can be in the world. Um, so we, I mean, we only have a few minutes left. I want to make sure if you guys have lingering questions, um, we address those. But I, I do just want to talk about briefly the idea of pursuit. Um, and kind of towards this question of how, how do I find someone to disciple? How do I know who I should disciple? Who do I choose? And I really want to put the idea of pursuit before you. Um, because there is power in being chosen. You know, in, in Jesus's day, actually, so there's a, there's a new TV show called The Chosen. Is anybody familiar with The Chosen? It's an eight, it's an eight episode TV show about the life of Jesus. And it is wonderful. Um, I commend that to you. Look it up, The Chosen, find that and watch that. But it just makes it come alive. It's kind of like when you go to Israel, Frank, like things just become real to you. Um, but this idea that the pursuit, so normally in that culture, pupils, students chose their master. Like they knew who the great rabbis were, they knew who the great teachers were, and pupils aligned themselves. Like they, they approached that, that teacher and said, I would like to study under you. I would like to be with you. Now you've got Jesus doing what he always does and flipping things over. Instead of holding out auditions or tryouts to come be with me, he goes he chooses, he pursues, he knows the name of these people. Peter, come and follow me. Andrew, come and follow me. Bartholomew, come and follow me. And just think about the power of that moment. Just think if, if 
who's a great Christian leader who's not dead? I was thinking Billy Graham, he's dead. I was thinking Dallas Willard, he's dead. Who, who's, who's, still out, who's still out there? Chuck Swindoll, he's alive, right? Yeah. He's still writing. Barely, but yeah. Still writing 10 books a year, probably. Imagine a guy like Chuck Swindoll or any man, any man or woman of God that you respect coming to you. I mean, it's one thing if you went to them and said, hey, could I study under you? Could I like be an intern with you? Could we meet together once a week or once a month and I could learn from you? If they said yes, that would be incredible. Now imagine if that person went to you, sought you out and said, hey, I've been watching the way you live your life. I've been getting to know you a little bit and I really see a lot of godly potential in you and i would love to to and as i follow jesus i would love to invite you into a relationship where we can learn to follow jesus together like imagine the power of that and that's what pursuit does that's what pursuit is um and again the brilliance of jesus's strategy and uh, again that goes back to love and the pursuit doesn't stop <laughs> when you ask them to follow you the pursuit continues love goes um, yeah, anyway, okay, so that, that's a thought. And, and the idea of, like, where do I start with my disciple? Um, as we've emphasized a, uh, emphasized a lot, like, this is not a curriculum-based thing. Uh, um, but but no, no decent architect or contractor would ever start building a building without first surveying the land, right? You, you find out what type of soil that you're working with. You, you discover what's lying beneath that soil what's digging down deep to, to see what's buried down there. You're, you're, you have to get a lay of the land to build a structure that's going to last the test of time. And so that's where listening to your disciple. And we, again, terminology, we're using the word disciple. We would also use the word friend. We'd also use the word neighbor. We'd also use the word someone you want to invest in. Like as you're, li- as you're getting to know them, you're listening to their story. And so that's why when we start out with people, a lot of times, you know, I think maybe the, guy, the guys did this on your retreat last year. So you kind of wrote out your story. But I'll meet with guys for the first time. A lot of times I'll just take a piece of paper and, and say, hey, is it, I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions. Is it okay if I just kind of write these things down? And I'll just build a timeline. And I'll say, I would like to write these things down just so that I can remember your story and I can know how to, to pray for you better. And so as I'm asking questions, kind of taking them through their life, like I'm jotting all the significant things that they're saying. I'm jotting some of the significant things they're not saying. Like, no mention of dad until age 20, like there's, there's something there. So just using a practical tool like that, and then that's what sets the curriculum. That story they just told me, that directs the conversations that we're going to have for the next year, two years, three years. Um, yeah. Okay, I, I don't know how we're approaching this. It's, two, it's 12.30. I don't know if there's questions or things we want to say or do or mike how you want to well I just, uh, even what you just introduced there um, starts to trigger a number of thoughts questions in me and and others and obviously we're hoping that we're going to have a, a follow-up but um um we've got a few moments i mean is there anything particular you know stirring in people's minds that they'd love to take this opportunity to ask about We're getting later in the day. Hungry. We're getting hungry. Mm-hmm. Hungry. Yeah, for us. Yeah, we're. Yeah. We haven't had lunch yet. No. Oh, wow. No. Positively starving. Appreciate the sacrifice. <laughs> Mike, do you guys have uh, 
Mike, do you guys have uh, um, Louis' uh, book? Yes. Um, in, in fact, I, um, I brought a bunch of copies back, but um, I don't know that we have any spare ones. However, it is available on Kindle relatively inexpensively as another option. Um, okay. Those who can read that, but uh, it's it's a quick, it's an easy read, but it's a challenging read. But really uh, contains this this framework that they've shared, and it's a is a good read, worthwhile. Great. Just uh, me, just I appreciate what you shared uh, in terms of the pursuit doesn't stop at the choosing. So I think the power of the choosing is 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 huge, but. Uh, but that it continues to grow, and that was like that was just a yeah, really good catch for me and a good reminder. So thank you for that. You know, just uh, listening to all that was said this morning, I'm really encouraged to know that there's a group of young people out there, like yourselves, who have immersed yourselves in such an amazing, revolutionary thought, and that you're putting into practice. You know, there's hope for the generations to come. And I think of your child that's sitting between you, hope for her. You know, and I think of Andy, you know, I, I just looking at the was Mike and Carol, I'm thinking how proud you are as parents. You know, would have a son who is not only sound in his own faith, but also carrying it on. Wow, what a lineage. I'm pretty proud of you guys. I'm very proud <laughs> and uh, yeah it brings tears to my eyes actually and um, I love it I love that he came on he was able to uh, to share that and obviously we've experienced some of those times of them being with us in that so I love that we can we can share these dear friends with you all and um, yeah I would say I need to have a conversation about his first year of college and my investment in that time. I mean, it, it is interesting that, like Ryan said, Andrew was um, 17 when he met. Well, he, he only did his freshman year in Arkansas, which is where we were living. We, we actually moved before he started college down to Texas. And then he moved down to Texas after that freshman year. So it was a couple of years of clearly intense engagement. But not to say that that, you know, obviously it changed in terms of FaceTime regular, but the relationship has endured. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? To the point of intentionally spending time together, uh, intentionally investing in my grandchildren. Mm. Well, and that's what friendship is. You know, that friends, that's what they do. Mm. You know, and I think that's why you look at Paul and his relationship you know, he had Ti Timothy, Titus, and Luke were with him for 20 years, about. You know, and, and you read Paul's letters, and is it not, isn't the language of friendship that he's using with these people? Um, but that's not how I was taught to do ministry. Um, so, it, you know. And I, and I think, too, I would say to you, all of you, um, first of all, I appreciate uh, Frank saying about the young, you young people. I want <laughs> Ryan. You heard that, right? <clears throat> um, but you, you know, disciple making will take you to take Jericho Road in places you can't even dream or imagine. You know, ethnically, 
age-wise? You know, like what, when Ryan and I moved here 15 years ago, this is not what we had envisioned. But when you make disciples, the Spirit of God will take you places you can't imagine. And, um, and, and, your age, and your age is not a limitation on disciple making. A lot of the way we do ministry is, you know, because our churches now need to have sex appeal if they're going to be successful. And as the pastors get older and, so, and you, you just can't do it, but you can love. And that's what this is all about because that's what God is all about is love. You know? Well, we really appreciate you all taking time to join us from Chicago and to put this on. I mean, obviously we were really disappointed. We couldn't have the time with you and hopefully there might be a time when we get to experience that and you get to experience this part of yeah. the world, which is worth the trip. Yeah. Uh, some, but uh, it means a lot that you would devote time and uh, time away from your kiddos <laughs> on a Saturday, but thank you so much. It has You're been, uh, I've loved it. And, you know, I've been familiar with, your ministry and message, but um, I'm renewed and uh, reinvigorated every time I reflect around it. So it means a lot. Love you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you, guys.